this morning in the second half of Ephesians chapter 1, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. And this morning I'm going to, of course, as we always do, teach verse-by-verse through the second half, but I also want to take a little bit of time to kind of share my heart with you as your pastor. You know how we, sometimes you guys will come up to me after church and they'll say, man, that chapter was just right on the money for where I am today. How many of you guys have ever had that happen before you come to church? Did God, was God, what, did, did the pastor, did my wife call you and tell you what text to teach? I've had people ask me that. Did you, my wife call you? How did you know? Well, you know what? Happens to your pastor too. And this chapter this week was really right on the mark for where I am and what God's doing with me in regards to this church. And so I titled the message, What We Should Really Be Praying For. And over the past few weeks, as I've been seeking the Lord in regards both to my own walk and for us as a body of believers, God has stirred me up in many areas. In my own personal life, for a desire for even greater personal holiness. Now again, not legalistically so that God will love me, but because God loves me. Not trying to win His approval, but out of my love for Him and desire to walk in the center of His will. He's given me a greater passion and desire to pray for my wife and my four precious children who are growing so quickly. My greatest desire is to see them grow in their love for the Lord. As I've been praying and seeking the Lord for us as a church body, several things God's put in my heart. One, that we'd have a greater impact outside these four walls. You know, God's doing a great work in here. People are getting saved. God's transforming lives. And you know what? It's great. It's wonderful. But it needs to leave the church on Sunday and go out and impact Santa Cruz. And I have a greater passion and desire for that as well. My prayer has been for personal evangelism, for us to be salt and light, that our love would grow for each other, and most of all for the Lord, the greatest commandment. I have a great burden for the children's ministry. You know what, I believe that we're doing a great job with our kids. Um, I, I don't know if you've all met her yet, I want to introduce her to you when she's in, in the service. We hired Rachel Power, who went to Murrieta Bible College, who has a real passion for kids. She's full-time assisting Mike, Pastor Mike with the children's ministry. I'm blessed with what God's doing there. But I have a passion for us to do more. A heart and a burden for our children. I believe the most fertile ground for salvation in, our, in all of our church is in the children's ministry. But here's the area I've been stirred the most. All of those things being said, what God's put on my heart the most is for prayer. That we as a body would pray more. First, in my own walk, that God's given me a greater desire to pray. You know, we have a lot of opportunities to pray at our church. Men's study, women's study, Sundays before church. Pastors are available after every service. People call the office every single week, almost every single day, asking for prayer. And I love that. But you know what? I have a greater desire for us to pray. God has stirred me to pray more for you, to pray more for my family, to pray more for my own walk, to pray more for our missionaries, and to pray more for each and every ministry in our body. It's going to impact a lot of things immediately. We're going to change how we do things in the office. Starting this week, we're going to spend more time in prayer. Period. We're just going to. And it's because it's a burden and a passion that God has stirred in my heart. You know, it's interesting. Note, when Jesus had been walking with the disciples for a period of time, they asked Jesus a question. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. They didn't say, Lord, teach us to do miracles because we've seen you do miracles. Lord, teach us to preach. Lord, teach us to teach. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And it's very obvious to me that Jesus' prayer life was something that they saw as being a key. 
as being important, as being significant. You know what? I can tell you this too. One out of every two marriages ends in divorce. And one out of every 1,054 marriages where the husband and wife pray together ends in divorce. You know what? We need to pray. Amen? And when we pray, it, cha- it doesn't change God's mind. It changes our hearts. And as we come to the text this morning, again, I believe that often our prayer is fruitless, not because we don't necessarily pray, but we pray amiss. We don't even know what to pray for or how to pray. Now, I want to encourage you, if you want to, you can certainly grab or order a tape from Luke 11. In Luke 11, we saw the model prayer. We talked about this some months back. And in Luke 11, there's a great pattern for prayer. The pattern is that we praise God. I want to encourage you, when you, pray, when you start to pray, begin by praising His name. When you hear me pray, you're going to hear me almost always begin by talking about how great God is. And that's a way we ought to begin prayer, because it says in the model prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. And He is holy and great and awesome and powerful. Amen? And when you start your prayer that way, when you understand who you're addressing in prayer, it transforms the understanding of what God can do through prayer. It changes everything. We need to pray for God's providence. Your will be done. For His provision. Give us this day our daily bread. For our perfection. Again, forgive me as I forgive others. Protection from temptation. And then make petitions for others with persistence. Alright? So praise, providence, provision, perfection, protection, petition with persistence. I don't have time to go through that whole thing, but... Let me just say this, I encourage you, if you want to know more about prayer, we'll, we'll make as many CDs and tapes as Luke, of, Luke of Luke 11 as we need to. Now, as we get to this morning's text, as Paul is going to pray, we're going to watch Paul pray. I want us to see and learn some things about prayer as we watch and hear what he prays for and how he prays. Now, to catch us up in this chapter last week, in the first 14 verses of Ephesians chapter 1... Paul is writing to the Ephesian believers. Ephesus, as we talked about last week, was a very rich city. But it was also a city filled with idolatry. In the latest archaeological finds, not the latest, but in the last hundred years or so, they uncovered the temple to the goddess Diana that they found to be probably the greatest archaeological find and the most awesome building in all of Greek culture. A huge, massive building to worship a goddess of sex. That's what Ephesus was like. Temple prostitutes, out of control. Very wealthy, very idolatrous, very much like the United States of America. Amen? We may not have big idols, we just have pornography. We just have things that we accept as as okay, and as idolatry nonetheless. It's very much the same as the worship of Diana. Now in Acts 19, Paul finally comes into Ephesus for the first time, or actually the second time on his third missionary journey. He comes into Ephesus, and he spent two to three years there. And while he was there, guess what Paul talked to them about? He talked to them about serving the true and living God and walking away from the idols. And so many people got saved that there was a riot. Wouldn't you love for so many people in Santa Cruz to get saved that there was a riot downtown? Wouldn't that be great? That would be so awesome. And that's what happened. People began to burn their little idols and they brought out their sorcery and witchcraft books and started setting them on fire. Man, it would be fantastic. And you know what? God can do it. Amen? And it begins with us praying. 
And Paul saw many saved as they burned their idols, but others rioted and they cried out for hours on end, Great is the goddess Diana. And as I said last week, you can shout a lie as long as you want and it doesn't make it the truth. You can shout out as long as you want about your pagan gods. And all. It's so sad. I was at a homecoming football game at Scotts Valley High and there's a young man there and I heard him talking about spiritual things, so I stopped. And he was talking about how proud he was that he was a pagan druid. And I said, young man, do you even know what you're talking about? Do you have any idea what you just said? Oh yeah, I'm a pagan. What, what, you know, do you know what that means? You know, it's just heartbreaking that we live in a place where everybody, everything and everyone is worshipped but the true and living God. And I have such a heart and a burden and a passion to see revival in Santa Cruz County. To see this place on fire for Jesus Christ. Santa Cruz, Holy Cross. Ephesus became a place that became more known for its relationship with the Lord. In Acts 20, Paul called the Ephesian elders together as he was heading to Jerusalem. He knew he would see them no more, and he said a couple of things to them that are life verses for me. One of the things he said in Acts 20, 24 is that none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. He said, you know what? All the whippings, all the beatings, all the... the People I face, all the antagonism doesn't move me one bit because this is what God's called me to do. And you know what? That ought to be our heart. We should not be moved by men but led by the Spirit. And then he also said to them, I am innocent of the blood of all men for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. You know what? That ought to be the the heart of every pastor to declare to his people the whole counsel of God. Every verse of the Bible. Not skipping over, not talking, teaching books from the Bible, but teaching the Bible itself. And then in Ephesus was mentioned one more time in Revelation. It was the first church mentioned of the, the, in the letter to the seven churches spoken of by Jesus. And he referred to them as the church that had left its first love. So when we get to Ephesians chapter 1, it's been 10 years since Paul had been there. He's writing a letter back to them, and though they're in the midst of idolatry, I think their greatest struggle in Ephesus at this time is wealth. And because they're caught up with wealth, he writes them this letter, and he starts off by telling them where their real riches are. He says, your riches aren't in your bank account, guys. Your riches aren't in how big your house is. Your riches isn't in your 401k or your stock, your stock market plan, right? That's not where your riches are. He tells them that your riches are in Christ. And last week we looked at 11 blessings of salvation. And if you were here, if you weren't, real quickly, we saw the work of the Father, that we've been blessed, we've been chosen, we've been predestined, we've been adopted, and we've been accepted. We then saw the work of the Son, that we've been redeemed, we've been forgiven, we've been enlightened, and we've been given an eternal inheritance. And then lastly, we saw the work of the Holy Spirit, who has sealed us and assured us. So as Christians, we've been blessed, chosen, predestined, adopted, accepted, redeemed, forgiven, enlightened, given an inheritance, sealed, and assured. We are the richest people on the planet. Amen? We are so rich in Christ. Praise God for who we are in Him. The thing I talked to you about last week, over 30 times in this short letter, he uses the term, in Him, in Christ, in Him, in Christ. Where's our riches? In Christ. Where's our hope? In Christ. Where does our joy come from? From Christ. Where should our passion be? In Christ, in Him. And everything else besides that is passing away. When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. And so now we move on to the second half of the chapter. We're only going to look at nine verses this morning, this final portion. And Paul is now going to move 
to, from talking to the Ephesians about God to talking to God about the Ephesians. And I think we can learn something from that. Too often we go out and we share with people and we find it fruitless. You know what? As we talk to people about God, we need to talk to God about those people. We need to intercede with God on their behalf. Pray that God will remove the scales from their eyes. And at the same time, some of us, we pray for people, but we never open up our mouths. We need to do both, amen? We need to pray for them and share the love of God with them. Both are callings on the part of a believer to share our faith and to intercede on behalf of others, to talk to others about God and to talk to God on behalf of others. And as we look at Paul's prayer, I believe we're going to gain some insights on what we really should be praying for, both for others and for ourselves. So here quickly, if you're taking notes, are the five points. What we really should be praying for. First of all, who we pray for. And notice the things he's thankful for. How we pray. And then lastly, what we pray for. Who we pray for, how we pray and what we pray for. I'll just give you those three points, and I'll give you the smaller ones as we move on. So let's begin in verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 1. What we really should be praying for as a church. And again, this ministered to my heart. Beginning first with who we should pray for. What Paul is thankful for in others. Look at verse 15. Therefore. Okay, whenever we see therefore in the Bible, you have to say, what's a therefore, Right? And therefore, it means in regard, in, in light of everything I just said. Now it's interesting, the verse 3 through 14 is one sentence. Blessed, chosen, adopted, accepted, redeemed, forgiven, enlightened, all that. One sentence in the Greek. And what's interesting is the rest of the chapter is one sentence. And so Paul says, in light of all the blessings that you have, in light of the fact that you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, now I want to tell you something else. So therefore, in light of who we are in Christ, in light of all that Christ has done for you, in light of all that is available to you, therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Now he says there, after I heard of your faith. The word there for faith in the original language means conviction, assurance, or belief. We have a clear biblical definition of faith. It's found in Hebrews 11. And it says this. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So Paul saw their faith, heard of their faith, and was blessed by it. So what is faith? Faith is not seeing and then believing. It's believing and then seeing. By faith, Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, Noah built an ark, 120 years building a boat when it had never rained. That's faith. By faith, you see that they step out first. By faith, God wants to do a work in every one of our lives. God desires to do something in us, but he wants us to step out with him. God desires that we would respond in faith. Now, what kind of faith? Faith is only as good as the object that we place our faith in. Because he says there, after I heard of your faith, in what? In who? What does it say? Read your Bibles, guys. Faith in who? In the Lord Jesus Christ. Your faith is only as good as the object you place your faith in. Amen? You can have all the faith you want in the world in Buddha. It's not going to do you any good. You know why? Because Buddha's a rock. 
Buddha was a man who died and he's not here anymore and we can go dig up his bones and those little statues are not going to get you into heaven and that's not popular in Santa Cruz. Well, Pastor Dave, that's pretty narrow. You know what? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life and no man comes to the Father but by me. Amen? That means there's no other way, there's no other truth, there's no other hope, there's no other life and there's no other path but Jesus Christ. And I'm so glad, aren't you? I'm glad I'm not trying to figure out which of the 9 million paths, which 800,000 are really good. I'm glad there's one and it's very clear and praise God for that. And you know what? Our faith must be not in ourselves. Our faith must not be in our church. Our faith must not be in our religion or our knowledge or our career or our finances. Our faith must be in Jesus Christ because he's the only one who won't fail us. Amen? Our faith must be in Him, in the Lord. And notice, in the midst of this perverse and wicked generation, their faith wasn't in the Ephesian idols, and their faith wasn't in their worldly riches, but their faith was in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you put your faith in anything you can lose, you're in trouble. Because you will lose it at some point. It might be your health. I work out hard, I do this, and I, you know, and you know what, you might live to be 110, but you're still going to die. At some point, you know, the results are in. One out of every one person dies. Amen? And what really matters then is what have you done with Jesus? And so it's faith in Jesus. He was blessed by it. And then he says there, and your love for all the saints. And you know what? These two things ought to go hand in hand. What is the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5.22? We just saw it a couple weeks ago. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. And then everything after that defines love. And so he says, I'm blessed by your faith in the Lord that is proven by your love. Faith does produce works. Works do not save us, but faith does produce works. As you've heard me say, it's not faith or works or faith plus works. It's faith that works. And we see here that they, he was blessed because they had faith in the Lord and it resulted in their love for all the saints. Now, part of what was going on in Ephesus was division between the Jews and the Gentiles. And he said, I'm blessed to see that you love all the saints. You're not worried about backgrounds. You're not worried about skin color. You're not worried about anything else. What you're worried about is where people stand with Jesus and nothing else. And you have love for all the saints. Can I tell you one of the greatest encouragements I get about our church, and I want to encourage you with it, is people will visit from out of the area and then they'll send me an email or they'll drop me a note or they'll grab me after church and say I've never been to a church in my life where I felt so loved and I just I brings me to tears I say that's it praise God that's the way it ought to be amen and that's not going to happen if we all run to the same three friends every week can I encourage you that we're all a body we're going to be together forever let's get used to each other now amen You know, when church is over, find the new people. Make them feel loved. If you're new here today, we love you. We're glad you're here. We don't have church membership at Calvary Chapel. If you're a Christian, you're a part of this family, and we want you to feel welcomed and loved. Whether you're just coming today from out of town or you're looking for a church body, we want you to feel welcomed and loved here. That's the way it ought to be. And he was blessed by their faith in Christ and their love for the saints. People ask me, Pastor Dave, what is your philosophy of ministry? It's six words. Preach the word, love the people. It's in the bulletin. Preach the word, love the people. Why is that important? Let me tell you why it's important. Because if we preach the word, 
we again are revealing truth to people, but then as we love them, we're sharing the love of God with them. They shall know us by the love we have one for another. And Paul says here, he is blessed. After I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, and look what he says here, I love this. He says, and by the way, what do you think that word love is in the original language? I'll give you one guess. Agape, very good. Agape, what kind of love is that? That is a selfless love. He was blown away by their agape, one for another. Not their Aaron, one for another. Aaron is where we get the word erotic. It's a selfish love. It's what can you do for me? A lot of people have that kind of love. My friendship is based on what you can do for me. Our marriage is based on what you can do for me. If you can't do for me, I'll find someone else who can. And that's why the divorce rate is so high. Because it's all about what you can do for me. But the love that God has for us is what can He do for us. And the love that we are to have one for another is what can we do for one another. For God so agape the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And the greatest commandment was love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Now I want you to notice here, having heard these things, it sounds like they're doing well. I'm blessed by your faith in the Lord. I'm blessed by your love for the saints. And so what does he do? He does not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Who does he pray for? I'm surprised by who he prays for. Who is he praying for? Those who are doing great in their walk with God. Who do we usually pray for? Those who are doing lousy. Isn't that true? You'll you'll talk about somebody, that brother needs prayer. Why? He's just blowing it. He's just really strong. Now, does that person need prayer? Absolutely. But you know what? So does the person who's on fire for God. They need prayer too. And you know what? In a lot of ways, they need prayer more. Why? Because where does Satan put his target? Who does he go after? He doesn't go after the person that's wallowing in drunkenness and adultery and is separated from their family. He's already got them. So who does he go after? He goes after the one who's the, the brightest halogen light for the kingdom of God. And so who should we be? We ought to be praying for Billy Graham. Amen? Praying for Chuck Smith. Pray for those in ministry. Pray for our missionaries who are on the front line. And I love that. He pray, and I just grabbed a hold of me when I read this. He's praying for those who are on fire. He's praying for those who are doing well. He's praying. And look what it says there. He prays for, again, the saints. I'm motivated to pray for you. Again, not just praying for those in trials and difficulty, not just praying for those who have backslidden and fallen away, but praying for those who God is using in a mighty and a powerful way. He says there, I do not cease to give thanks. So we see who he prays for. He prays for all the saints. He prays for those who are doing well in this case, those who he knows have a target on their back, But then it also says how he prays. He prays without ceasing. Now, has that ever bothered you that the Bible says pray without ceasing for this is the will of God? I've had people say to me, that's impossible. You got to eat. What are you going to do? Chew and pray? What are you going to do? You got to drive. You got to sleep. You got, how can you pray without ceasing? You know what? If God tells us to do it, that means we can. Amen. And I call it putting God on speakerphone. You just wake up in the morning with, yes, Lord, and just keep talking to Him all day long. If any of you ever walked in on me in the office in the middle of the night when I'm studying, like I was last night, I'm talking to God the whole, you would think I'm lost on the mall somewhere. 
Because I'm just talking, you think I'm talking to myself, but I'm not. You know, Lord, help me with this. Lord, help, give me understanding. Lord, give me wisdom. God will put someone on my heart and I'll just start praying for him. And that's what God is calling us to do. Pray without ceasing for this is the will of God. And we see Paul's heart here. Not just who he prays for, those who are walking strong with the Lord, but also how he prays without ceasing. And may that be a lesson to us. May that be an encouragement to us. Paul was thankful for And mention those who are faithful and loving, those bearing spiritual fruit, not those in pursuit of physical, worldly riches, pleasures, and possession. What what should we be praying for? Who should we be praying for? Not just those in difficulty, but those on the front line. And how should we be praying? We should be praying without ceasing. And I love this, to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Can I tell you something? The greatest thing that you can do for someone else is pray for them. That is the greatest thing you can do for them. Some of you come up and tell me, and I believe you, that you pray for me every day. Can I tell you, you, can't, you couldn't give me a million dollars, wouldn't be better than that. Some of you come and say, Pastor, we pray for you every day. I say, oh, praise God. You know what? Praise the Lord. I need it. Amen? How many of you would like to have someone praying for you every day? Raise your hand. Amen? Well, you know what? We need to start doing that for each other. Pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God. So we know who we should pray for and how we should pray, but what should we pray for? You ever struggle with that? What do I pray for? Now this is not an exhaustive list here. We should pray for the sick. We we should pray for the hungry. We should pray for the hurting. We should pray for those who are going through difficulty. But I want you to see something here that God really showed me as I was studying on what we should pray for. Look what it says in verse 17 making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation and the knowledge of Him. How does He pray for them? What does He pray for them? Does He pray, Lord, keep them from the idols? Is that what it says? Lord, help them to stand strong. Does He pray, Lord, bless them with a lot of stuff. You see that in there? But you know what? I think that's what most of our prayers are for. Lord, keep me out of this. Lord, bless me with a lot of stuff. Lord, give me, give me, give me. Anybody ever done that besides me? All right, Lord, here's what I want. Shopping list. And just start like Santa Claus up in the sky. Let me just give you the list, Lord. Now you're paying attention. I'll pray this again tomorrow to make sure you didn't forget. Right? And we pray without ceasing for us. And for stuff. I want you to see this. In the midst of idolatry, in the midst of great wealth around them and the temptations that were there, what does he pray? He says, I pray that you'll know God better. There's the answer right there. Instead of praying, Lord, help him to quit drinking, pray, Lord, help him to come to know you. Because if he comes to know you, he'll quit drinking. Amen? Amen. Too often we pray for the symptom and not the problem. We're praying, Lord, help him stop smoking. Lord, help him with this bad habit. Lord, help him with this struggle. Lord, help him to be more diligent at work. Lord, help him. No, Lord, help him to know you better. Because if he does, all of that other stuff will change. All of that other stuff will be transformed. I'm reading this and I'm like, Lord, there it is. Instead of, you know what, and a guy, somebody called, several people last night called in to talk to, you know, looking for directions for church. It's always shocked when I answer the phone at one o'clock in the morning. 
If you're here, God bless you. I'm glad you made it, okay? But they call, and they're like, I thought I was going to get a recording. I'm Calvary Chapel. <laughs> what are you doing, you know? And, you know, it's a blessing to be able to pray with those people, but my heart is more and more not to pray about the circumstances, but to pray about our walk with God. Because our walk with God will take care of the circumstances, amen? And I love, I love this, what Paul's praying for. You got unsaved family? Don't pray that they'll overcome their habit. Here's the thing, guys. You can quit smoking and still be going to hell without Jesus. That was direct, huh? Ouch, right? You can have a new shelter built for you and still be going to hell without Jesus. And too often we think, well, Lord, give them a house. Lord, give them this. Lord, give them that. No, give them Jesus. May they come to know Almighty God, and then the rest of that stuff is secondary. And too often we think we're serving the Lord when we go down and we build houses in Mexico. You know what? That's a great thing to do. But we better give them Jesus. Because if we give them a house, we've left them in a dry shelter not knowing God any more than they did before we got there. Making them more comfortable in their life outside of the Lord. You know what? We have the answer, and the answer is not stuff. The answer is not comfort. The answer is not even delivery from a disease. The answer is Jesus Christ. And that's what we need to bring to people. That's what we need to be praying for. You know what? Sometimes we pray, Lord, help that person get out from under the circumstances of their sin, when you know what? That's the very thing they need to be broken so that they'll look up and see their need for Jesus Christ. I've had people come to me and say, Pastor Dave, we need to pray. I've been praying for this person's salvation for 10 years, just lost his job, got in a drunk driving accident, and now he's going to prison. We need to pray that he'll get off scot-free. And I'm like, I don't think so. I think we need to pray, God, use this to wake this person up to his need for you. This drunk driving accident could be an answer to prayer. Amen? You're praying, Lord, do whatever it takes. Now he's done it. Now you're saying, Lord, let him escape. I love Paul's prayer. He prays, Lord, that they would grow in the spirit of wisdom. Now I want you to understand something. That the only place you're going to get wisdom is from the Holy Spirit. You understand that? So that means that the wisdom of men, as the Bible says, is foolishness to God. So that means no man who does not know God has any... So you're telling me that Albert Einstein had no wisdom. That's what I'm telling you. The four-year-old child that gives their life to Jesus Christ has more wisdom than the man who came up with a theory of relativity. You know why? Because he understands a scientific theory, but he doesn't know God. Where's wisdom? The fear of God is what? The beginning of wisdom. And if you don't fear God and you don't know God, you have no wisdom. And it cracks me up. People say, well, that guy's so wise. No, he's not. No, he's not. Because God alone is wise and any wisdom we have comes from him. Amen? And too often he says, so he's praying, give them the spirit of wisdom. Think about how, how wise is a man who spends his entire life working on some scientific truth and then rejects the creator behind all the complexity of what he's been studying. It cracks me up that somebody can study DNA and not get saved. I don't get it. Somebody can study the... You look at science, it's just God all over it. Amen? And they'll say, oh, I don't believe in God, I'm a scientist. Like they're opposites of each other. You know who the ultimate scientist is? God. He's omniscience. Amen? Which means he's all-knowing. And sadly, you have people study and they get puffed up in their knowledge. And, well, yeah, you're a simpleton Christian. You just believe by faith. You believe by faith that lightning hit a puddle that it went from, you know, from 
goo to the zoo to you, right? <laughs> Tell me that didn't take faith, amen? Well, there's a big bang. Where did that happen? Where did it come from? I don't know. There was something on the sky. Where did that come from? I don't know. But it took billions of years. That's how we can explain it. It gives me a headache. You know what? Have faith in Christ. Amen? Amen. My son said it in the dugout a few years ago. One guy said, I believe in the Big Bang Theory. He said, so do I. God said it and bang, it happened. Amen? <laughs> so true. Where does wisdom come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. And yet we want to run to the world seeking wisdom. The world has none. That's going to offend so many people. When this goes on the radio. But here's the thing, guys. Here's what I'm saying. I mean spiritually. Because all the accolades, all the intellect means nothing if you don't know God. Amen? Are you anything compared to God? The Bible says we compared to Him are nothing. Amen? He's everything. We're nothing. We need Him. He doesn't need us. We're desperate for Him. Where does wisdom come from? From the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have any wisdom. So that leads to the fact that we should walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. Here's another question I get a lot. Well, Pastor Dave, shouldn't I go to the psychiatrist, the psychologist, and have them tell me how to overcome my problems? The answer is no. Oh, man. Now, there went 12 more people from the church. But here's the thing. Here's the truth. If they don't know God... How can they give you the answers? They need your counsel. Amen? They need your counsel. We've got the spirit of living God living inside of us. They're spiritually dead. And they studied what a bunch of dead atheists believe. And now they're going to give you counsel from dead atheists when we have Almighty God living inside of us. I know that this is being a little on the direct side this morning. But here's the thing. God so has a great plan for us. And why would we turn to anyone else or anywhere else when the spirit of wisdom dwells within us? And he's saying, I pray that you'd grow in that. This is Paul's prayer. Pray for me that I would grow in the spirit of wisdom. I will pray for you that you will grow in the spirit of wisdom. That you will grow in your knowledge and understanding of Almighty God. As Christians, the spirit works in us and reveals the Lord to us that we might grow in knowledge of Him. To know God personally is salvation. To know Him increasingly is sanctification. And to know Him perfectly will be glorification in heaven. It's not enough to know Him as Savior. We need to know Him as Father, as Friend, and as Lord. Again, He doesn't pray for physical blessings. He doesn't pray for relief from symptoms. But instead, He prays for a change of heart and spiritual growth in the life of the believer. May it change the way we pray. Can we still pray for symptoms? Of course we can. But may not, not be the focal point of our prayer. Should we pray for people who are, are suffering and struggling? Of course. But you know what? Part of our prayer should always be, Lord, use this for your glory. Lord, you knew this was coming. Lord, you're faithful. Lord, use this for your glory. The real need of someone who struggles with alcohol is not sobriety, but salvation. That's the need. That's the need that we have. We need, to, we need to be born again more than we need a detox. Amen? Now, do, should, is detox good? Absolutely. Should we get off the drugs? No doubt. Where's the answer? It's, not a, it's Jesus. It's the spirit of wisdom that comes from Almighty God. If it doesn't get them to the cross first, it's incomplete. It's of no eternal value. Our prayer ought to be for transformation that's going to impact eternity, not praying for things that are only going to bring comfort temporarily. 
Pray for things that are going to transform eternity. Show me in the Bible one time where Paul prays for comfort. Show me one time. You know what Paul prays for? Lord, use us for your glory. None of these things move me. Lord, your will be done. You know what? We need more of that in our lives today. And again, sometimes we're praying for the very thing that God desires to use to draw people unto Himself. The real pursuit is our knowledge of God and to know Him better. Verse 18. Look what he says there. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. To not only praise for a spirit of wisdom and a knowledge of Him, but that since their eyes of understanding have been enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of His glory, and the glory of His inheritance in the saints. So Paul prays that they might know the hope of His calling. You know, since your eyes have been enlightened, since your eyes have been given understanding... It's interesting, the word there for understanding, some of your Bibles even say it, is the eyes of your heart. You know what? Knowing Christ is not a head issue, but a heart issue. It's your heart. It's your heart that needs to be transformed. Now, as Christians, we don't check our brains at the door. Amen? We don't have faith in spite of the evidence that would be superstition. We have faith based upon the evidence. Again, I'm not, I'm not a scientific genius, but all I know, I know enough to know evolution is the biggest fraud ever. It's an absolute fraud, and it's taught in our schools as fact. If they tell the kids enough, they start to believe it. Just absolute, it's, it's blasphemy. You cannot be an evolutionist and a Christian at the same time. Doesn't work. Well, I have no problem with that. Well, read your Bible and read Genesis chapter 1 and show me where lightning hit a puddle. Show me where God the Father is an amoeba because He created us in His image. Amen? He created us in His image. Genesis 1. You don't know what I... How did the world get it? Read your Bible. And so sadly, what we see is that too often people's hearts have not been touched. God's desire is that we would have both knowledge and understanding of who He is. Too many Christians' eyes have no hearts, and too many Christians' hearts have no eyes. Their faith is all based on emotion. Well, it needs to be based more than just emotion. It needs to be based on the truth of God's Word. Amen? Emotion will lie to you. Emotion will whip you up. People, because of emotion, will start rolling on the floor and, quote, barking in the Spirit. And God moves in such a mighty way. That's not God. How do we know? Because the Bible says so. We need not be biblically illiterate. And we need to be those whose eyes and hearts are open to the truth of who God is with wisdom and understanding. Now, what does that wisdom and understanding bring us? Look what it says. The hope of His calling. Now, He's speaking about the calling He's given us here and now, but really what He's speaking about is the hope of heaven. Now, guys, it doesn't get any better than this. We're going to heaven. Amen? We're going to heaven. You know what I love about this too? It doesn't matter too often. You know, when we understand where we're headed, it ought to change our perspective on everything else. It ought to change our perspective on our finances, our possession, our career, our health, and even death. If we truly realize what God has for us. Eternity in heaven. What, what do we know about heaven? No more pain. No more death. No more sorrow. No more suffering. No more crime. No more disease, no more wars, no more terrorism, 
no more natural disasters, no more division in the body of Christ, no more sin, no more false gods, false religions, or attack upon our Savior or His name. No more. You know what else? Eternal life in perfect bodies in the presence of Almighty God. You know what? I'm not that old yet, but I'm ready to get rid of this tent. Amen? How many bear witness with that? This thing's failing. And it stinketh if I don't put a whole lot of stuff on it in the morning. And you know what? Praise God when we get to heaven. No more. No more. And you know what's going to be great? We're going to be in a place where He rules and reigns. Where we will live and where we will be glorified. Where we will look upon the unveiled glory of Almighty God. Where we will see Jesus face to face. And you know what's sad? I hear Christians say about death sometimes, it's so tragic that he died so young. Now let me think about that for a second. It's so tragic that he left the garbage dump to go to the Bahamas. It's so tragic that he left this broken down tent, this place where there's sin and death and sorrow and suffering and pain, to go into a glorified body and be in the presence of Almighty God forever. How is that tragic? It's not tragic, it's glorious. Amen? Now, we may miss them, and I understand that. But to be absent from the body is present with the Lord. And you've heard me say it before, if I die before you guys, just have a party. Be excited. Don't grieve for me because I'm in the presence of Almighty God and I'm not thinking about you. I'm not. Nobody in heaven is worried about us right now. Because when we get to heaven, I'm looking at Jesus. Man, it doesn't get any better than that. That's where our focus needs to be. How tragic that he died so young. It's not tragic. It's a blessing. It's glory. And again, it grieves our hearts. I've done funerals for young people. It's not fun. Because it, it does hurt. It brings us to a point of weeping because we will miss them. But we do not grieve as those without hope. Amen? Because we will see them again. And there will be no more pain. Paul didn't pray, help them be less worldly. But Lord, reveal the deeper knowledge of you. Help them, Lord, to walk with you in a more clear way. What should we pray for? That we would know God and that we would know the hope of His calling. And then he says, in the second half of that verse, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? Paul prays that they would know how valuable they are to Him. God has not only promised to give us an eternal inheritance, but guess what? We are His eternal inheritance. Think about that. What does Almighty God treasure? Almighty God who can create anything He wants, who put the stars in the sky by speaking it. What does He treasure? He treasures you. You. You are His treasured possession. In Matthew 13, there's a parable of a pearl, the pearl of great price. And there's a merchant who finds this precious pearl, and he goes and sells all that he has to buy this pearl. Don't misunderstand that parable. The merchant is God and the pearl is you. He suffered and died that you might have eternal life. He gave all that he had to purchase you. How do you determine the value of something? What somebody is willing to pay for it. What was paid for you? This. How valuable are you to God? He'd rather die than live without you. You are so precious to him. What an awesome God that we serve. Amen? May you know just how valuable you are to God. So what should we pray for, for ourselves and others? To know God, 
to know the hope of His calling, and to know how valuable we are to Him. And then lastly, in these last four verses, Paul prays that they would know the power of God. God has given us power to use. He has given us, again, that we might glorify Him. Look at verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us, who believe according to the working of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in heaven, at His right hand in the heavenly places. The word there for power in verse 19, who has a guess? Dunamis. Dunamis is where we get the word dynamite. Or we get the word dynamic. It's found in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 where it says, And you shall receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you know what? He says in this verse, he says, He has given an exceedingly greatness of His dunamis towards us who believe. God doesn't call us to do something that He won't empower us to do. And you know what? Sadly, we often live, as I talked about last week, like spiritual paupers. We walk around acting like we have no hope, nowhere to turn. We're at the end of ourselves, which is a good place to be. But we need to understand there should never be a power shortage in the life of the believer. Because where's the source of our power? Now, I'm not talking about power in me. I'm powerful. I claim authority and I'm powerful. No, that's not what I'm talking about. And I hear Christians do that. Be careful. Don't be commanding stuff on God's behalf. Don't tell Satan what to do. The Bible says not to address Satan, by the way. We're not to address him. Let God take care of him. Amen? He's yours, Lord. You whooped him. You took care of him on the cross. You you can have him. Take care of him. Amen? And too often people are wanting to address Satan, and we don't need to do that. But I want to say this, that he gives us power. What does he give us power for? To be witnesses. Isn't it hard to share your faith sometimes? What's the truth? How many of you guys, all right, I'll bear shield, but how many of you guys shared your faith this week? Raise your hand. Okay, praise God. Can I encourage you that that's one of the reasons we're, that's why we're here, to know Him and to make Him known, amen? But it's not always easy, is it? Sometimes we're worried about what other people might think of us. Guess what? God called us and He empowers us to do it. Have you ever started sharing your faith with somebody and you have no idea where the words are coming from? You know what I'm talking? I don't remember. I didn't know I'd ever read that verse before. And here I am quoting it, right? Because the Holy Spirit will give you the power to do it. So it's not power to claim things and walk around and be, but power to witness, but also power to walk away from temptation. The Bible says that when temptation comes, God gives us a way of escape. When we sin, we have to run through a lot of stop signs to do it, don't we? Isn't that true? We don't fall into sin. We run into it. That's the truth, isn't it? The Lord's like, don't do it. Don't say that. Don't let that come out of your mouth. But it's going to be funny. But don't say it anyway. But it's going to be, but don't do it. But everybody will laugh and I'll be popular with everybody. Don't do it. And then we say it and the Holy Spirit goes, I told you not, right? Conviction. We choose to sin. And that power He gives us is power to witness and power to walk away when temptation comes. And praise the Lord for the power He gives us. Now I want to say this too. It says there, the power that raised Him from the dead. If the death of Christ is the supreme demonstration of His love for us, then His resurrection is a supreme demonstration of His power. How great is His power? How great is the power of our God? Look at the next verse. 
far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. That pretty much covers it. He's more powerful than who? Everybody. The word there, principality and power and might and dominion, those are rankings for both demonic spirits and angelic beings. And again, sometimes I think we, don't, we give Satan too much credit and sometimes we don't give him any. There is a spiritual battle going on around us. Did you know that? It's an absolute fact. It goes on around us all the time. Remember the story of Elijah and his servant and the servant was blown away by how many horses were surrounding him and Elijah wasn't sweating it and he was like, why, don't you see the size of the enemy? And then God opened up the eyes of the servant after Elijah prayed. He looked behind him and he saw the, again, the angelic host surrounding the enemy. You know what? You plus God is the majority. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And the good news is that if God is for us, who can be against us? God is faithful and God is greater than any, quote, demonic being. Another thing that's running through the church today, as long as we're attacking, tra- tackling a bunch of stuff, here comes another one. You know, one of the things that we had somebody leave the church over recently was believing that Christians could be demon-possessed. And said so we were out of our minds and we didn't believe that. But I've experienced it. Look, let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit lives in me and He's not sharing His space with the devil. Amen? So you cannot be demon-possessed as a Christian. Praise God. You cannot be. Because he is greater than the principalities. He's greater than the powers. Now it's interesting that there are rankings of demons. And I believe that there are probably several that are in charge of Santa Cruz. Think that's true? But here's the good news. Greater is he that is in us. He's greater than any principality, any power, any might, any dominion. You know what guys? We should not walk around in fear, walk around scared, walk around frightened, walk around worried. Why? Because our God's greater than any foe, any challenge, any addiction, any struggle we may face, our God's greater. And the world will say, but if you struggle with that, you can struggle with that your whole... You know what? My God's greater than that. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. Amen? And God can deliver us. And you know what? And again, I'm just going to offend... Well, there'll be four people here next week. We don't need a 12-step program either. We need one step, Jesus Christ. He's the answer. It's not baby steps to getting right. It's turning. That's what repent means. Turn. Lord, I give it all to you. Lord, help. There's it. There it is. One step. Amen? God, now, has God used 12-step programs in people's lives? Not a doubt in my mind He has. But do we need them? No. God's used car accidents too. Don't drive your car into a tree. Amen? Here's the point. The point is that God can use different things, but what we need to do is come to the Lord. He's the answer. He's the place. He's the one. He's where we need to turn. Lastly, he says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. All things are under his feet. Everyone and everything is subject to him. Every evil and demonic spirit, every angel, every government, every star in the sky, all of creation, every man, woman, and child, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on behalf of us. Who's the head of the church? Jesus Christ. Let me make it real clear. No pastor, no pope, no priest is the head of any church. Jesus Christ is the only head of the church. 
Amen? He's it. Why? Because if you follow a man, they're sinners in desperate need of a Savior. They can't. They're just sinners. If you start thinking too much of me, just go talk to my kids or my wife, and they'll just settle it for you real quick. Just come hang out with me for a while. Man, he's, he's a sinner. That's right. In desperate need of a Savior, one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. Amen? And so the head of the church is Jesus Christ. He's our leader. He is the one we follow. We don't follow men. We follow the Lord. And He alone is perfect. You know what? Don't kiss somebody's ring. Don't bow to anybody. In the Bible, when people bow to the apostles, what do they say? Get up. When they bow to the angels, what do the angels say? Get up. There's only one who should be worshipped, and it's the Lord. The only one who should be worshipped and honored and praised. The Bible says in the end times that men will raise up for themselves ear ticklers. And people will start to, you know, tell people what they want to hear. And too many churches today won't talk about sin, won't talk about the cross because it's offensive. Yes, it is, but it's the place of salvation. And may we stand up and be a voice crying out in the wilderness if need be to preach the truth of the gospel. It's His deity, His glory, His power, His riches that lead us, protect us, and intercede for us. So in conclusion, what should we be praying for? First of all, who do we pray for? Pray for all the saints. Not just those who are struggling, we should pray for them too. But also for those who are faithful, that they will grow and that God will help them when the attacks come from the enemy. How should we pray? We should pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God. And then lastly, what should we pray for? We should pray to know God better. We should pray to know His calling upon our lives here and now and the promise of heaven to come. We should pray that that we would know how precious and valuable we are to Him. And then lastly, we should pray that we will know His power. His power over sin, His power over death, His power over every principality and power on this earth, that He is the name above all names. And as we pray for others, may we not pray for deliverance from the symptoms, but the transforming power of the cross in their lives. Guys, I know this was a heavy message today, and I know some people are offended, and some people are probably mad at me right now. And I want to make it real clear, I love you guys. And the Lord loves you guys. And as your pastor, if I got up here and watered down what I believe the Word of God says, I'm going to answer to Him one day. And I'd rather disciple 50 than entertain 5,000. Because it's so much more important that you know what the Bible says and you know what's going on around you. And if I, your pastor, am not the one to share the truth with you, who in the world's going to? Who in the world's going to do it if I don't? And you know what? I, my, you know, I'm like any man. We love to be loved by others. But I'm much more concerned about being faithful to God. It may not be at the heart of every one of us here. And guys, as we pray this week, Can I encourage you, get a prayer journal and start writing your prayer requests down. And start praying for people by name. Pray for your mission field by name. Youth group kids, start praying for people at school that do not know God. Start praying for them by name and invite them to church and watch what God does. God answers those prayers, amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you for your love and your grace. Lord, and Father, I know for many this is a, a heavy word today. But Lord, I pray that through it all, it would turn our eyes to you. 
That our faith would not be in a religion. Our faith would not be in a man. Our faith would not be in a method. But Lord, our faith would be in you. Lord, I pray that, that you would give us a burden and a heart to pray for others. Lord, I pray for those who are here today who are struggling, who are suffering, who are going through difficulty, Lord, that, Lord, you would use those circumstances for your glory. Lord, that in the midst of them, Lord, you would use them to draw each person unto, unto you. Lord, that they would grow in, their, in the spirit of wisdom and their knowledge of you. Father, I pray for those who are serving you full speed, that, Father, you would strengthen them that your hand would be upon them, that, Lord, you would protect them from the attacks of the enemy. And, Father, Lord, I pray that we would never come across as arrogant or self-righteous. We're just sinners saved by grace. We truly are one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. We don't have the corner on truth. We just know where it is. And, Lord, I pray we would draw people there. Lord, that we would reach out to those who are caught up in places where your word is being rejected. And, Lord, that we would, again, in love, share the truth with them not trying to draw people unto ourselves, but point people to you. Lord, bring divine appointments, bring opportunities. Help us to pray with greater fervency. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand and worship.